Aloha and guten tag. That was really horribly received. Note, don't do that second service. Okay. I'm so excited to be here. Um, man, what a blessing. What a privilege. I've had the, the honor of just to serve with with your pastor in various ways, conferences, and just cross paths so many times. And I love this guy. I love his family and just excited to be here. And I'm not as excited as um, Luke is. It's hard to match his excitement. Even like opening the communion thing was like dramatic. Take back the transparent cover and peel it back in the name of Jesus. Love it. I'm excited to share the word with you guys. We're going to be in Mark chapter five this morning, and it's a passage that it's going to be familiar to a lot of you. And uh, maybe it's new. And if it's, if it's like the first time you're in Mark five in this passage, I just, it's like my honor to introduce you to this amazing passage. It's, it's a great spot. Um, I want to go through this passage. And then if we have some time towards the end, I, I want to share a little bit more about what we're doing uh, with Germany and stuff like that. But the priority is God's word. Amen. We want to get in God's word. So we're going to go Mark chapter five and I'm going to do the first, oh, um, 20 verses. We're going to read the whole, I want to read the whole story just in the, in one sitting as it were. And then we'll go back and just look at just kind of some elements of it. So what I want you to do is just follow with me. I'm reading from the ESV. I don't know what version you have, but it should be pretty close. So if it's a little different, I apologize, but uh, follow me as I read and then we'll dig into this thing. So this is Mark five verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains, but wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he, that's Jesus, was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the country. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. And they begged him saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. And he gave them permission And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and they told it in the city and in the country and the people came to see what had happened. And when they came to see Jesus and saw the demon possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, they were afraid And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, 
but said, go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy upon you. But he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everybody marveled the word of the Lord. Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, we praise you and thank you for your word. Like, like Luke reminded us, there's no growing, there's no maturity that happens apart from your word getting into us. And God, I want to ask you that you would make this come alive to us today. Like I've read it a lot of times. I've studied, I've taught it, but I need it to be fresh, Lord. I need it to be fresh for my own life. Lord, my brothers and my sisters, no one came here to hear Luke or hear me. We came to hear from you. And I pray, God, you would speak it afresh to our, our lives. You'd remind us of what you've done. And Lord, you would call us and you would encourage us and you would inspire us for things you want to do in us and through us. And I give you this time in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. So yeah, how many of you guys, just out of curiosity, straw poll here, how many of you guys have read this story? Every hand should go up because we just read it. That's a trick question. Um, I have taught this passage many times. I've read this passage many times. Um, but I've got a, a, a confession to make to you. Every time I read this story, even now, just reading it just now, I confess in my mind, here's what I'm thinking. This is a weird story. Anybody find this just a weird story? I mean, there's more things. I have more questions than answers a lot of times when I read this. Like 2,000 demons, or I mean a legion of demons, I should say, and 2,000, what is with the pigs? And how did this all work? And you didn't let the guy go with you. And there's just so many weird things about this story when you get to the details, in fact, Matthew's account says that there was two guys. And so um, there's all these little details and things. That I just go, this is such a weird thing that happened. Well, be that as it may. And there are some weird elements to it. And I'm not going to get into every single one of them. But at the end of the day, guys, this is what I want us to capture as we get into this. What this story really is, listen, it's a story of a broken Lost, tormented, hopeless, helpless man that one day encountered Jesus and his life was never the same. That's what this story is. Amen. It's a story of redemption. It's a story that's been repeated millions of times with different details because it's the story of the gospel. Amen. It's the gospel. When Jesus comes to a lost, broken sinner and saves his life and redeems his life and puts him on a new path, that's the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. And that's why I love this story. I, I agree with Tim Keller who said, the way to revival, the way to renewal is to rediscover the gospel over and over again. Amen? So part of what we want to do today is we want to rediscover the gospel through this story. And we'll come back to that. So kind of hang on to that and we'll come back to that. But what I want to look at right now is just want to go through the story itself. And so with a little bit of detail, I like to take notes. For me, it's very helpful when I'm listening to a sermon, I take notes. If you do that, here's a couple of the things that we're going to look at. We're going to look at um, this weird story. We're going to look at the weird place he goes. We're going to look at the weird man he encounters. We're going to look at the weird encounter itself self. And we're going to look at the weird responses from the weird encounter from the weird man in the weird place. Do you get that? 
Got it. Luke's pen is smoking. Um, first of all, let's just talk about the setting. I want to look at the, the context a little bit, and, and that's the place. And I'm, I'm doing this not to bore you, but there's actually, it's going to play into our overall application. It says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. Some of your translations may say, say something like the Gadareans or something like that. Yes, no, something like that. Um, in, God, in, in Matthew's gospel, it says he crossed over the other side opposite the Galilee. I don't have a map up here, but if you have one in the back of your Bible, or maybe you can picture kind of um, the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus hung out, where he lived, was on the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Capernaum area, Bethsaida, that area up there. And that, even though it was kind of overrun by Romans and there was a lot of problems in that area, that was still very much the Jewish side of the lake. Does that make sense? That was where, you know, their culture was so highly, you know, represented. But when you crossed over the lake, and by the way, they didn't go all the way to the uh, you know, opposite, farthest most part of the lake. They just kind of cut the corner. But even though they were just cutting the corner, they were crossing to the other side of the Jordan River, and they were going to kind of the east, southeast part of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. And it may not have been very far, you know, as far as miles go, but it was a completely different world. It was a completely different place. In fact, Gadara, which is the actual city in the north, very south, kind of east part of the Sea of Galilee, was one of the 10 cities of the Decapolis. Anybody heard of the Decapolis? You come across that once in a while. And that whole region was inspired by the influence of those Decapolis cities. Now, the Decapolis, deco meaning 10, they were just these 10 city-states that were actually um, kind of formed when Alexander the Great and the Greeks were going through that region, they set up these 10 city-states. There was nine of them on the east side of the Jordan River. There's one of them on the west. The one on the west is called uh, Betshan. If you ever go to Israel, they usually stop at Betshan. It's an amazing place. And the whole idea was, you know, Alexander the Great, he wanted to Hellenize the whole region. So he brought his culture, he brought the Greek culture to those city-states. And if you went to one of those city-states like Gadara, Betshan, or one of the other ones, um, it was like going into mini Greece, right? They would have their columns and they would have their, you know, temples to their pantheon of gods. They would have their gymnasiums where they would all wrestle naked and get crazy. And like, it was just very Greek culture-esque, like, you know, statues and the body and all the things that they were into in philosophy. Well, then Rome came and Rome just kind of Romanized what was already there. They were already influenced by the Greek culture, right? And so now Greek, you know, Greek gods are just kind of renamed with the Roman gods and all of that. The point I'm trying to make is that whole culture was repulsive to the Jewish culture. Do you understand that? Like that whole influence was so not kosher, <laughs> And so where does Jesus go? Jesus leaves the very kosher, very accepted, very Jewish side of the lake. And he goes to the very dark, the very pagan, the very secular, worldly part of the lake. Jesus took his boys to Vegas, guys. <laughs> I mean that. He took his, he intentionally left the accepted holy place where a rabbi should hang out. And he went to the dirty, dark, 
taboo place. Why? Because that's where people need Jesus. Amen? He crosses over and he goes. And so that's where he went. But let's talk about this, this encounter with this guy. And, and there's so much that we could probably talk about. We're not going to hit every possible thing. But let's point out a few things about this man. Um, the first thing, obviously, is um, he's demon-possessed. I mean, that opens a can of worms, right? Let's, let's just do a complete five-week series on what that means. We could easily, but we won't. We'll just this morning say he was demon-possessed. I know a lot of Christians even have a hard time believing. Well, I don't know if I actually believe in demon possession. You probably should since Jesus did. And um, I'm actually kind of amazed. I don't know about you guys. When I read the gospel, I'm amazed at how often demon possession is a thing that he's in, having to deal with. Guys, I don't even know. I can't relate on this end to this guy. He's possessed with not just demon, a demon, which is bad enough, right? When Jesus encounters this guy, and by the way, when, when Jesus is interacting with this man, it's, isn't it convoluted and weird because the guy's there and he's talking and yet this di- demonic personality is actually talking through him. I don't know if you've ever had an experience with something like that. I have, and it's crazy. And here's this demonic voice coming out of this man and Jesus is engaging him. What's your name? And what's he say? Oh, you want a name? How about Legion? Because there's a lot of us. A legion was like 6,000 Roman soldiers. I don't know if the demon was using hyperbole or if he was serious or what, but the point is there was a lot of them. In fact, 2,000 pigs went down that day. So I don't know what to make of that. If there was one per pig or if they doubled up, I don't know. <laughs> um, and I make light of it, but, but in, in reality, he, this guy is absolutely dominated by the hellish influence of the devil himself. What happened in this guy's history? I don't know how he got opened up to that, but that's what's controlling this man. He's demonized. Not only that, he's naked. Luke says he's naked. No clothes on, just dirty. Luke said it had been a long time since he lived in a house. He lived among the tombs. He was naked, he was homeless, and he was demon-possessed. He's living among the tombs, you guys. I mean, a tomb, like in that day, what they would do in that culture, they still do to some degree, um, they bury you right away because it's hot, right? And the decomposition stage sets in quickly. So they would put you in a cave and they roll the stone. And when you decayed, they would open up the stone again. They'd take your bones, put them in a bone box, put you up in the corner, and then bury your next relative in that cave. You know, they would just kind of recycle the cave. But this is a place of death. And guess what? He's sleeping there. He's living amongst bones and death and decay, homeless, naked, demon-possessed. And how about this? Completely out of control. Did anybody else besides me catch that detail? Like, they shackled him with chains. But the comments are like, but they couldn't chain him anymore. They had often, like, like like how many times is often? How many times does it take? They chain this guy Often, and he would somehow, maybe because of the supernatural strength from the demonic forces, I don't know, break the chains and rip them apart and just go crazy. Guys, they didn't know what to do with this guy. He was absolutely out of control. Do you think people were a little scared when he was walking down the street? And because of that, also, he was an outcast. 
total outcast, not only because he didn't fit in in the, in the society anymore, but Luke's gospel tells us that the demons themselves drove him into the hills. That's what demons do. They want to isolate you, put you by yourself. They want to torment you. And this guy is out of control. He's isolated. He's naked. He's homeless. He's demon possessed. Can you imagine? Like everybody probably knew who this guy was. Oh, that's crazy Joe. Oh, watch out for crazy. Oh, it's crazy Joe. Go to the other side of the street. Okay. Oh, he's weird. Nobody knew how to handle this guy. The thing that kills me about this, and this is a relatively new discovery for me going through this passage, is this guy might be demon possessed, naked, out of control, you know, an outcast, all those things. But here's what kills me. He was a tormented man. It says that he constantly would cry out and cut himself. He would be up in the hills and you could hear him howling in torment. And he would take sharp rocks and cut himself. Now, cutting's a thing, right? Girls ages 9 to 13 are the ones in our culture that still deal with self-harm and cutting more than any other demographic. And we're told that that cutting is a type of a coping mechanism, not a good one. But it's a way of dealing with such inner anguish from abuse and neglect and hurt and pain that there's no other way would just express it, just cutting, hurting themselves. And that breaks my heart. You don't have to be demon possessed to feel like that, right? Here's this guy. You think he wanted to be like that? This guy's broken hopeless, tormented, lonely. In fact, we're told that when that boat was in a far off distance, it says, because what happens is when Jesus like steps out of the boat, the welcome wagon is a demon possessed man. But it says it saw, he saw him from afar off. So he probably saw him up in the hill. He's like, what is that? You know, like ran down there. And as soon as he, Jesus shows up, he just falls at his feet. Crazy. Now let's talk about this encounter. He falls at his feet. And did you notice, by the way, I don't want to do, I don't want to go off on this too much. I have a lot of notes on it because it's fascinating to me, but I'm not going to go there too much. Um, It's fascinating to me what the demons know about Jesus and the kind of the interaction between this, the demon and Jesus. First thing I want you to just, we'll kind of say it. You'll, You'll see it from the text. The demons know who he is better than anyone else on the shores that day. I would, I would add. What are you doing here, Jesus, the son of the most high God? By the way, they're not saying that in worship. It's more of just identification. But it's almost kind of like, here's how I do in my mind. Like the demons know who Jesus is, like that he created like, you know, everything. And he's like, you know, the God of the universe. And the demons in my mind are more like, what are you doing here? Oh, crud. You know, like, what, what are you? No, seriously, why are you here? Um, they know who he is. And, and I would also add this. They are absolutely frightened of him. The demons are frightened of Jesus. Matthew's account, I think Luke as well, it says they begged Jesus, don't send us to the abyss. Have you come to torment us before our time? Revelation 20 makes it pretty clear that the devil and the demons, their days are numbered. They might have a big influence right now, but they're going down and they're going to the abyss and they're going to the lake of fire and they're going to be dealt with forever. And evidently that freaks them out and they know it. And they thought Jesus came early to deal with them. And they're freaking out and they're begging him. 
a couple of times that that word is used, they're begging him, please don't do this. Please do this. Like they they know who he is. They're freaked out by him and they're absolutely submitted to Jesus. I love that because the language is this. They were begging Jesus and Jesus gave them permission. I will allow you to go into the pigs. Now go. I love that. And again, we can talk more about that, but it's just a fascinating thing. But anyway, all, all that to say, this guy falls at Jesus' feet and he's clearly tormented and naked and just hurting. And Jesus, I mean, what an amazing thing. He delivers this guy, just sets him free from these demons and the pigs go wandering down the hill. I'm not even going to talk about that. But the people that are around, they see this happen and they're freaking out. And it says, they just book it into town and like, you guys got to check this out. Okay. The pigs and there's a bunch of them demons and Jesus there. And went, what are you talking about? Just come on. And it says they come and they find, and, and I like the way it's, it's actually, it, it, the way it reads there in verse 14. It says they, they came to see Jesus, verse 15, and then they saw the demon-possessed man, or should we say the ex-demon-possessed man, sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Ooh, mark that. Delivered. Sitting, and by the way, Luke adds, at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Can you just see? We don't have, there's some details we don't have, but the demon came out of that guy, and this guy just was evidently completely changed, and just in, all of a sudden, he's thinking clearly for the first time, and knows how, who knows how long, and somebody's like, bro, can I give you a coat to put on, or a robe or something? Thanks, man. And, and, and he's there, and he's just sitting down. He's not wild. He's not breaking chains. He's just sitting, and he's thinking clearly, and the people roll up, and they see that, and it, that, I think that freaks him out more than the pig thing. Now, if that wasn't weird enough, here's a weird response. Let me read to you. This is how I think it should read. And those who had saw it described what had happened. In verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to come into their town and to be their governor and to change their lives. And they submitted to Jesus and they worshiped him forever. That's a, doesn't it, shouldn't it read something like that? Isn't that weird what, how they respond? They began to beg him to leave. Now, we can speculate all day why that is. Like maybe because their whole pig industry just went under. I don't know. Maybe it was just too much for them. But they, they didn't want him there. Jesus came there. He's not there like 10 minutes. A guy's life is transformed. And they, the, the people are like, we can't handle it. We don't really want you to stay. And you know what? Jesus leaves. I don't mean to sound coy on this. I don't mean to sound like too tongue in cheek or like I'm not trying to sound too light about it. But Jesus won't stay where he's not welcome. And in, in any life, in any home, in any church, in any, if you don't want Jesus, he's not going to force himself to stay. He would have stayed. I, I get the feeling that he wanted to do a lot more there. I don't think he just came for that boat ride through a storm to get to that spot spot. I mean, he did it for that one guy, but I think he wanted to do more, but they're like, no, we don't want you. And he get in the boat and he left. And then another weird little detail to the story is that this might be the weirdest of all to me, actually verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with the demons begged that word begged comes up over and over, begged Jesus that he might be with him. And he did not permit him 
Okay, just think about that for a second with me. This guy has been completely delivered from demons. All the stuff we talked about, his life is brand new. And, and he sees that, you know, everybody else is kicking Jesus out. Jesus is getting in the boat. And he's like, oh, no, 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 wait. Please let me come with you. Please let me be your disciple. Please let me be with you guys. I want more of you, Jesus. Wherever you go, that's where I want to go. And it, again, doesn't this read weird? Shouldn't it say, and Jesus helped him into the boat and they, he followed him to the, you know, no, Jesus didn't allow him. He said, no, you can't come. And then Jesus does something totally wrong. I say that tongue in cheek. You're like, I don't like this pastor. He's blasting. He said, you can't come with me. I'm paraphrasing. But go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how much mercy he's had on you. <laughs> you know why Jesus did it wrong? This guy hasn't even been to seminary yet. <laughs> he saved like 20 minutes and God puts him on the mission field. He hasn't been to Bible school, 12-step discipleship program, nothing. Jesus clearly didn't know what he was doing. I say that. Too reverently. I don't even like the way that came out of my mouth, honestly. Of course, Jesus knew what he was doing. I love this, you guys. Guy saved 20 minutes and he goes, you know what? I, I'm sure Jesus appreciated that he wanted to come with him. I'm sure he would have loved to have him, but he said, you know what? They're rejecting me here, but I'm going to leave you here. And I want you to just go home. Well, I, you know, again, I'm reading into this. We'd be like, I'm not ready. I don't have Bible study. Listen, just tell them how good I've been to you. Get going. And homeboy goes through the Decapolis and proclaims Jesus throughout the entire. Now, I, the way I've read that, and I understand it, and I've talked to other guys, they kind of understand it this way too. It wasn't just he went to Gadara. He goes to the Decapolis, like the other nine cities plus Gadara. This guy was a one-man wrecking machine. And you know what his message was? Him. <laughs> like, he was just his testimony. You guys know me? It's Crazy Joe. It's me. What happened to you? Jesus happened to me. And he just told him how good God was to him. And this guy, man, one of the most effective guys probably there was in the New Testament of just telling people about Jesus. Amen. Isn't that a great story? It's an amazing story. And it's the gospel, you guys. See, here's the real story. I mean, that, that's a real story. I mean, that really happened. But here's the real story is that it's a picture of what God has done for us, isn't it? And this may offend some of you, and I don't mean it to, kind of. I kind of do a little bit. You're represented in this story by the demon-possessed man. That's you. I don't mean that you had to have been demon-possessed. But this demon-possessed man who was lost and broken and helpless and hopeless and unable to save himself or do anything for himself and couldn't do, that's, that's who you were and that's who I was. We were lost. We were dead in our sins. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out uh, the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
Now that, that's offensive in our culture. It's offensive to say this, but we were lost. And you could, you, maybe you were somebody who was kind of like resembled this guy. Maybe you were homeless. Maybe you were out of your mind. Maybe you were a drug addict. Maybe you were living on the street. Maybe you were just completely immoral. Or maybe you were a moral looking individual. Maybe you were a religious person or maybe you were a business person or maybe you looked real clean on the outside. It doesn't matter because listen, all of us were lost, broken, hurting and helpless and hopeless and cannot save ourselves. And we all needed Jesus come onto the shores of our lives. Amen. And that's, we need, we need to remember that guys. We were all lost. And then I love the next verse of, Ephesians 2, verse 4, but God, but God rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he's loved us. And it goes on, but God, and see what happened to this guy is, but God, he was lost and broken and hurting and helpless and hopeless. But one day Jesus came onto the shores and he met Jesus and he was forever changed. Amen. And the same came for you and me. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost and that which was lost was us. And he crossed the sea. Listen, he didn't just cross the sea. You know, it was one thing for Jesus to cross over a portion of the Sea of Galilee. But see, Jesus did something much greater than that for you and for me, didn't he? He didn't just leave the Sea of Galilee. He left the throne of God in heaven. He left the glory of heaven. We're told in Philippians chapter two that he emptied himself. That doesn't mean he emptied himself of his deity, but he emptied himself of his divine glory right? His glory is prerogative in that way. He still was God, but he put his glory aside and he humbled himself and he became a man to seek and to save us. Amen. And the step down is unthinkable. We've all heard these analogies. I'll give you one real quick one. Holy moly. Is that the time? Um, you know, we were just in Hawaii for three years and I love it when people say, Oh, it must be really hard in Hawaii. You know, aside from the surfing and the sun and the beach, it is pretty tough. <laughs> it is awesome. It, it is hard there in other ways. But the, the one thing I, I didn't count on in Hawaii, though, is, is cockroaches. They're big. And you can have the cleanest house on the island. They'll find you. They will find you. And I remember... Um, like a couple, like a month or so before we moved, I'm laying in bed. You know, we had just gone to bed. Regina got up. My wife got up to go to the bathroom to do something. She said, oh, there's a cockroach in the sink. And I was like, well, can you kill it? What she was saying is, will you come and take care of this? And I'm like, can you just do it? Because I don't like them at all. But she insisted. So I got up, grabbed her slipper and just, I actually got a video of this one. It was so big. I like literally videoed myself crunching this thing in the sink. It was gnarly. So that was one experience. And then another one, um, like two nights later, I'm laying in bed. It's hot. You guys know how it is. Just so hot. You can't sleep. And um, I've got like a sheet on, you know, and like half my legs hanging out the sheet. And I, it's like midnight, 1230. And I just wake up because I realize something's on me. And I, I'm all down on my leg and there's this, this cockroach crawling, woke me out of a dead sleep. And I, like a schoolgirl, freak out and scream, knock the thing across the room, call for my wife to help me. And um, the only point I'm trying to make is I hate them. They're so gross to me. Seriously, I can't stand cockroaches. But what if I loved them? And I wanted to see all of them saved. 
What if I knew that the, the extinguisher guy was coming in the morning and somebody's got to warn these poor guys and I try to scream down at the cockroaches, get out of the house, death is coming. And all they would hear is, because I'm so big and so transcendent from who they are as a human being. So I realized the only way I can save the cockroach is to humble myself and become a cockroach. And I become a cockroach and I, I live amongst the cockroaches and I, I get you know, their ear and I say, guys, listen, damnation is coming. Judgment is coming. The, the exterminator guy's coming at 9 a.m. And I get them all out of the house. But then I die in the process. This is a stupid analogy. But the point is, like, that's so, like, we oh, that's so gross. That's so becoming a guy. Listen. The step down from a man to become a cockroach doesn't even register at all compared to what it meant for God to become a man. The, the step down he took because there was no other way to save a wretch like Jason Beale. And he went to the ends of the earth. He, he sought out, he came. And listen, it hit me. I'm talking as if all of you are, guys are Christians. There may be some of you here today that are, you're not yet saved. And I want to tell you, you're here because Jesus, the son of God, is seeking for you. He's seeking for you. Well, you don't know what I've done. He does know what you've done. And he loves you. And he wants you. And he wants to set you free and he wants to give you purpose and he wants to give you meaning and he wants to take away the guilt and the shame of your failures and he wants to give you new life. And if you've not received him as your Lord and Savior, just know this, you can be saved today. He's on your shores this morning to save you. We were lost, broken, helpless, hopeless, but Jesus came and he saved us. He didn't cross the river or the, 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 or the, um, the lake. He crossed into earth from heaven and then he, I don't know, I, I could just go on and on in this, but I love this verse where it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake, he made him who know, knew no sin to become sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, don't you get it? How did Jesus save us? He took our place on the cross. He became naked. He became homeless. He became rejected. He lived the life that we should have lived and then he died the death we should have died. He stood in our place on the cross. He died for me. He died in substitution of you. He was treated like the child molester. He was treated like the adulterer. He was treated like the thief. He was treated like, do you understand? He never sinned, but all of our sin was laid upon him and he died for it. And he paid for it in full. And then he raised from the dead and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And he says, if anyone and whosoever will call upon my name will be saved. Amen. Not by our works of righteousness or keeping the law, by just trusting in him through faith. That's how we're saved. That's how we experience our salvation. And then what happens? Guys, this is where I could go on and on and I have to just land the plane here. But it says, um, that, did you guys notice this? He's not only delivered, but he's what? Clothed or sit, seated, 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 sitting, <laughs> seated, clothed and in his right mind. It says in, um, in uh, Ephesians 2, 6, that we've been raised to new life with him and we're seated at the right hand of the, uh, uh, with, in glory with Jesus. I'm misquoting that, but you understand. You might be in Newport at South Beach Church right now, but your real position is with Christ in heaven. 
You have a new position in Christ. You've been seated in the heavenlies with him. And you've been clothed, just like he was clothed. In Isaiah um, 61, 10, it says, we've been clothed with the garments of salvation. His righteousness has been put on us like a robe. Amen? And it says that he was in his right mind in Colossians, uh, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, it says, we now have the mind of Christ. Romans chapter 12 says that the, by the renewing of our mind, how many of you guys think differently now than before when, you, before when you were saved, you thought differently, right? We think differently because Jesus comes and transforms by his Holy Spirit and through the word of God, the way that we even think. Seated, well, let me back up, delivered, seated, clothed and in his right mind. And that's what he's done for you. And that's what he's done for me. Amen. But he does, he, here's, here's where we'll have to end this part of it. He not only came to seek and to save Jesus came, he sought this guy, he saved this guy. And then he, what sent this guy guys, this is part of the equation for you. And I too, he sought you, he saved you. But this last part's not as optional as we think it is. He sent you too. He has sent you. John chapter 20. He's there in the upper room with the guys after he's risen from the dead and they're all there. And he, what is it? He goes, Hey, what's going on? When he breathes on them, remember that receive the Holy spirit, just as the father sent me, I am what sending you Matthew chapter 28, go make disciples of the world baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I've taught you. Guys, do you understand that the Great Commission is for every single believer? We've all been already sent. You don't have to ask, Lord, would you send me somewhere? He did already. The key is live sent. You've been sent. What do you mean I've been sent? I just live in Newport. Exactly. Because God sent you here. That's how it works. Don't you understand that? He sends you right into where you already are. Whatever context you find yourself, a mom raising kids, a dad going to work, maybe a pastor, maybe a plumber, maybe a, but guys, wherever you work, wherever you play, wherever you go to school, that is your context. That is the arena in which God wants you to take the gospel and change wherever it is you are. Amen. Well, I'm just not qualified. Dude, you are 122% more qualified than this guy ever was. Let me rephrase it. You're just as qualified as this guy was. You know why? Because like this guy, guess what you have? A testimony. You can, I don't know. I've never been in the Bible college. You know, I literally, as a pastor, I, I have, I've had people that, you know, will come to me. I, I want to share the Lord. I'm just not ready. And I'm like, how long have you been saved? Well, I've only been saved like 22 years. I'm not sure if I'm ready to do a Bible study. And I'm like, are you serious? That's actually really sad. And I'm not trying to be like Debbie Downer right here, but that's actually kind of sad. What are we doing? Guys, we, we've been sought, saved, but we've been sent. And we don't necessarily, I mean, some of you will be called to go to Bible college or go to seminary or do this or go into the full-time ministry. Most of us will not. But we're all still in the full-time ministry in the sense that, guys, we, have, we are called to take Jesus into whatever context we have. And you know what? You've been armed with a testimony. Every single one of us can say, let me tell you how good God has been to me. Amen? Amen? And we underestimate the power and the effectiveness of a testimony. And of course, we want to learn scripture and doctrine and be able to share in those ways. Absolutely, sure, of course. But I triple dog dare you 
to live differently like this. Say, God, okay, I rejoice in what you've done for me. Because I, I realized, God, I was lost. I was broken. And you came and you saved me. And I'm seated and clothed and all those things. Yes, Lord. But what if you said, but Lord, now where do you want me to go? Where do you want me to go? And for 99% of us, well, all of us really, it's right where you already are. But I, I, I believe he'll sometimes shuffle the deck and be like, like, like Luke was saying earlier, like, you've been here for a while, but now I want you to go do this. And now I want you to go, and I want you, and, I want you, and God is so good at like shuffling the deck and moving the pieces. And, and I wonder if there's some in this room right now listening to me. God is calling you. And you might be a young kid in here and you're just something in you is kind of rattling around. Like, I wonder if God could use me to go on the mission field or maybe God could use me to do something great. He can and he wants to. And all you need to do right now is say, I'm available. Isn't that what Isaiah did? Okay, I'm off my nose. I'm freelancing here a little bit. Isn't that what Isaiah did? Oh, woe is me. And I'm a man of unclean lips. And God touched his lips. And then what happens next in heaven? Isaiah 6, by the way. God says, who will go? Who's going to go for us? Who are we going to send? And Isaiah's like, I'll go send me. Do you realize that he never had any other details? Like he didn't say where they were going to go. And it was just like, it doesn't matter. That's the point. It doesn't matter. Here I am. In light of what you've done for me, here I am. Send me. What if we all had that attitude? It doesn't matter, God. It doesn't matter if it's Newport or New Guinea. Lord, it doesn't matter because of what you've done for me. I'm your man. I'm your woman at work, at school, at play, across the world, across the street, whatever, I just want you to use me however you see fit because I love you so much for changing my life. Amen? We're to live sin. I I like how um, your pastor put it earlier. It's not boring being a Christian if you don't let it get boring because you can wake up every day, whether you have the most mundane, and sometimes life can feel very mundane, but you know what? You can still live sent in every context of life. And that's what the Lord wants for us. Amen. What if we poured out of this church today and our mission was like, Lord, show me who I can talk to about how good you've been to me. Just that right there. That would just wreck this place. You have people like, what is your problem? Let me tell you what my problem is. I love Jesus because he loved me first. Amen. Amen. This is just a theme in our lives. You know, my wife and I, I'll talk, five, is five more minutes okay? Um, so yeah, I appreciate Pastor Luke just, just um, telling a little bit of our story and he nailed it. You know, it, there's of course a lot more details of why we went to Hawaii and what we were doing over there. But um, we've, we've just tried to have this hard attitude. And my wife, I, I always say this, she's not here this service, she'll be here next service, but she's like the hero, I think, of our family because you know, we raised three kids, they're grown, they're out. And, and she would be like, you know, I don't want to just be empty nesters where we're just getting fat and sassy and doing whatever. Like we need to be open to whatever the Lord would have us to do. So let's, Jason, I want you to pray about doing foster care. All right. And this is a true story. She's like, no, I don't want some 30 second prayer. Like you need to go talk to me after you've talked to God. I think we should do foster care. So we did foster care. And then we had one and only placement and we adopted him. His name's JJ. So in our early 40s, we just um, hit the reset button. My oldest son's getting married in like two weeks in Brookings. And my youngest son's five, like a 26 to five. I mean, I've got this thing. 
but you know, we just want to be open to what the Lord have us to do. I'm not trying to be the hero. I just want to like kind of tell you how this has played out in my life a little bit. And so we pastored up in um, Astoria for 18 years. I served as assistant pastor at Calvary Chapel, North Shore in Kauai for three years. Um, but something happened even before we moved to Hawaii, which actually that was part of the preparation for the Germany thing. Um, real quick story, but it's a great one. Okay. Bear with me. I'm going to rifle through this. 2013 or 14, my brother-in-law um, was working at a hospital and they were doing a bone marrow drive, the donation drive. So he donated his bone marrow. It's for those who have cancer, leukemia, things like that. His information went into an international database. He forgot all about it. A year or two goes by. They, get, they contact him. You got a hit. There's a young girl, young lady in Germany, um, 99 point something match for your blood or your your bone marrow. So it's on. And so he had to go in and do this procedure simultaneously. This unknown woman in Germany is getting radiated and chemo to death practically to just kill everything. And then they, they ship over the bone marrow and they do the, however that works and it takes, it worked. They tell me it worked because when they pulled out her blood, it showed up as my brother-in-law Nick's blood. So she was saved by the blood of my brother-in-law, right? It's kind of a crazy story. Well, in that program, after a year or so, the recipient has the option of um, contacting the donor. So she contacts my brother-in-law. This is not a romantic story, so just know this. Um, they're starting corresponding with one another. And, th- and she's like, hey, me and my family want to meet you. Here's an all-expense-paid trip to Germany. Come and see us. Bring whoever you want. He invites my, his sister, my wife. And she's like, you know, Jason, you've always had this weird thing with Germany. And you took four years of German in high school when you lived in Southern California. Go figure. Um, why don't you go? I should probably mention it during this time. This is now 2015. God had already stirred in our heart that we'd be leaving our church. God was going to do something big. We didn't know what it was, but I was like, hey, I'll go on the trip. So I go there with my brother-in-law. Hang here with me. You guys are doing great. We fly into Berlin. I'll never forget this. We get to these like kind of opaque sliding doors and they open up and standing in front of me is this, this woman and her family and they're just weeping because they're staring at my brother-in-law who is the guy who they didn't, didn't know them from Adam and donated his bone marrow and saved their daughter's life and it's just this like emotional crazy thing and they're weeping and he's crying and I'm just like that meme where like just eating popcorn like what like... <laughs> This is so cool that I get to be here for this. And like, so now automatically he's family and I'm with him. So now I'm family and they just bring me in and they drove us a couple hours away to this little remote little village in Eastern Germany. And we just spent like 10 days eating and drinking and hanging out with these guys and just having the time of our lives. It wasn't a missions trip. We were just, this is crazy. But around the table, we just got to talk about Jesus and we brought a guitar and we'd sing and they'd cry when we were singing and and we just talked about the Lord very openly. It was so wonderful. And during that time, many times on that trip, I'm like, this is cool. Why am I here? This is so weird. I left. We left. I came back. Um, I'm back for two days. I'm sitting on my couch. I get a phone call from a guy named Tom Doyle. Some of you may have read his books, um, Killing Christians, Dreams and Visions. He does a lot of mission stuff in the Middle East. I was actually praying about joining up with him. I thought that's what we'd be doing. And he says, Jason, um, the organization I'm with, we're doing this missions trip to Germany. And for some reason you were just on my mind. Would you be interested in ever going to Germany like Berlin? And I'm like, dude, I'm still jet lagged. Yes, I'll go. And so we set it up and it was like a month or two later. I went on this 
trip. We were reaching out to Muslims, going into refugee camps, having the cafes filled, just giving our testimony from people all over the Middle East. And um, it was a great trip. But here's the point. That trip ended. I stayed an extra day or two. I rented a car. I drove the two hours. I was like, man, I'm this close to this family. I got to go see them. So I go down there. I'm there for one night. And I'm sitting across the table one evening, that, that one evening that I'm there from our friend Jenny, who's, who's there. And, and uh, she looks across and says, I want to get baptized. I was like, well, it kind of took me off guard because usually people don't just say that. Um, it, that's kind of leads, there's stuff that leads up to that. I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't how this is supposed to work. First of all, I got to tell you this and this. And like, she threw me off. So I'm like, well, do you know that? And I'm just like sharing the gospel. She's like, yes, I understand that. I want to get baptized tomorrow. It's like, Okay. So it's like late October. They have a pool that's like half trained. It's like one degree, you know? <laughs> and uh, so we go out there in the morning, got to baptize her. She came up out of the water. I was raptured and taken to the city of Azaz. No, wait, that was Philip. Um, <laughs> but I did get in my little Peugeot and I drove back to Berlin and I got on a plane and left. And that was the seed in my mind. I was so rejoicing for her and her family and stuff. But what, but what now? Where do you go to get di- discipled? Where, where do you find a church in Eastern Germany that just teaches through the Bible? Where do you, and that, that stuck in me. Came back in that month, we had our, our, our prayer retreat, our men's retreat, I guess I should say, up at Coastline in Astoria. Actually, it was in Cannon Beach. It was on prayer. And on the last night, like 40, 50 guys said, can we pray for you, Jason? And they huddled around me. They had no idea what was going on in my heart. And one of my deacons with a word of prophecy, very rare for him to do this, said, I feel like the Lord is saying, God's not done with you in Germany. And it was that, and it was other things, and it was moving to Hawaii and God stirring things in my heart and all these other things. But at the beginning of 2020, my wife and I realized we're supposed to go to Germany and hit the reset button again and now leave our family and our, our, my parents who are getting elderly and our kids who are getting married and, and, we're, and to go to the middle of nowhere, Eastern Germany to maybe start a church or something. We don't know. We don't even know what it's going to look like. We're just going. We're going to go and we're going to live there. And we're going to see what God wants to do. Can I tell you one real quick, this super quick story. (laughs) I see the clock. No. Yeah. I got to tell this quick story because it's not just like I hear from God. I'm like, Germany, got it, Lord. You know, and I just walk in confidence like that. That is not how it works for me or you and anybody else. I'm just like you. I'm like, God, are you sure? Germany, this is crazy, God. And I'm living in Hawaii and I've got a great gig going on in Hawaii and things are going really well. But at the same time, I'm dying inside because I know God's calling me to something else. And I, I remember one night, um, I lived in a little town called Hanalei and Hanalei is on the North Shore. It's a real quiet, sleepy town at night when there's nothing going on. And I think COVID had just hit. So there's nothing going on. And I'm just like dying inside, perplexed. My wife goes to bed and I just go, honey, I, I, I've got to go talk to the Lord. And I just remember being so frustrated, like, God, what are you doing in my life? Is this even a thing? Like what's happening? And, um, I just remember opening the screen door and walking down the road and my intent was to go pray, but I was so frustrated. I didn't, I couldn't even pray. You ever been there? I literally would look up to the sky, start to talk and just be like, I don't have anything to say. I don't even know what's going on. And like 20 minutes, I just walked. It's, didn't say a thing, turned around, heading back home. And then I just go, this was my prayer. Honest to God, as God is my witness right now. I looked up the sky and I said, is this Germany thing for real or not? (laughs) 
And I put my head down and just started walking. Not 20 seconds later, mind you, I hadn't seen one car. I hadn't seen one person. There's just stars and nothing else out. And all of a sudden I hear a little commotion coming towards me on the other side of the street. I'm like, oh, that's weird. Oh, it's a family. They're walking towards me. I was like, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, kids. Oh, that's, that's interesting. Well, it's really weird is they're singing. So they're singing and they get closer and I realize they're singing in German. <laughs> so this is like 20 seconds after I prayed that, right? And I'm like, oh, and I'm just like, no. And they're walking past me and they stopped, you know, because it was a little weird at that point. They stopped singing and they're looking at me and I'm looking at them. <laughs> and I just go, guten Abend, good evening. And they went, hey! <laughs> and they just kept going. And then I'm just like, <laughs> I go up the stairs. I'm like, honey, we're going to Germany. It's all good. God's got us. We're doing this. Like, I was so pumped. It may sound like a weird story to you, but like God just knew I needed that right in the moment. He's <laughs> so funny. There's so much to the story and you guys have your stories, but this is just something we feel like God's doing with us. And would you just pray for us? Because, um, you live in Newport. It's a great church. If this church was closed, you could probably go down the street and find another church. It's not how it works there. And, and that place has a robust, rich history for Christianity, doesn't it? The, the Reformation happened not too far from where we're going in Wittenberg. But it's dead. It's dead. And they need revival. We're not saying we're the great hope for Germany or anything like that. We're just trying to obey what Jesus called us to do. So that's all we got. Let's pray. And God, I want to pray right now. Thank you for your word. You came to seek and save which is lost. That was me, and that was us. And I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus that, number one, we would remember the great things you've done for us, how much kindness and goodness you've showed to us, what you've saved us from, and, God, who you have made us. And I want to pray that you would rekindle that fire of just remembering the gospel and how good you've been to us. But, Lord, also that we would embrace the sent lifestyle, that we would say, Lord, here we are, send us, that we would walk in all that you have for us. And I want to pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would make that calling sure. I just feel like there's someone in here right now. You're calling them, not specifically, but generally. And you're saying, I want you to follow me. And I pray that we would surrender with reckless abandon. And I want to pray for anyone who doesn't know you yet as their Savior, that they would respond and receive you today. In Jesus' name, amen.